0: Well, everyone, welcome to Funny Book Forensics. Uh, Today, we are going to cover a classic Bronze Age book, DC Superstars number 17. And I'm Dan. And I'm Greg. And we are the host of Funny Book Forensics. You know, when I deliver the intro perfectly and hand it to you, and then you don't say your name, It's sort of like the Quintile Crystal story in DC Superstars 17. I did say my name. Well, it didn't sound like you said your name, but it's okay. Because when you have three stories, and then one is just should be blank pages in the middle because it's so terrible. And then the other two stories are great. You know. You said they were all terrible. uh, They're not all terrible. I thought they were great. The middle story is... Well, you know, I have high standards for the Legion. I thought that was your favorite and my favorite story of them all. Well, the good news, I guess, for me when I was a kid is I picked up this book because of the Legion of Superheroes and ended up accidentally picking up the first appearance of the Huntress for not a lot of money. That's pretty awesome. And I still have that book. So, well, let's get into some Bronze Age fun. So, uh... what was hot in comics in 1978, Greg? Do you have any idea? I d- you know, that's a good question.
1: I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that was pretty, pretty hot in comics at the time. Because, like, I mean, there was a lot of uh, like movie crossovers and other things like that going on. I'm sure, right? A lot I mean, of well, now, well, the movie crossover, right? The movie crossover. Which one is that? Well, the movie that would be Star Superman. Wars.
0: Superman the movie. Um,
1: Wait, Superman the movie came out in
0: 1977, 78? Get out of town. And Superman turned 40 in the same year. So there was a big celebration. We had a lot Sup- of Superman going on. Superman uh, turned 40? Did he have a cake? He did have a cake, I think. Uh, you, you got to remember, he's Superman, so he can eat whatever he wants, and he never seems to put on weight. So... Most of us turn forty, and all of a sudden, it's it's over. But Superman turns forty, and he still looks like Superman. So ah, this is true. And His waistline never changes. You also had a, a couple more events. Uh, this is a big year for Superman. So you have the Superman versus Muhammad Ali, Giant. Uh, oh, that uh, tabloid. Book. Book. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, when you say Giant, it is not only Giant because it was like an awesome book in in content but also awesome in size because the tabloid book uh they're they're huge right how, how much bigger than a normal book are they
0: yeah i mean they're like 11 by 17 i think so around that oh, wow. size so you're you're looking at laying it on the floor and opening it up and and dc was doing a whole series of these tabloid books i have several of them uh marvel did a few as well mm-hmm. and uh i there i go and uh because and, uh, I, I started, well, and uh happened because I started thinking about those tabloid books. They're absolutely <laughs> beautiful. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I think, like, I have a couple in my collection. They're one of those things where when you come across them at the right price, it's hard not to want to pop on them. I've gone to some collector shows and, and just been just in awe and told myself, I, I really don't necessarily need it. But gosh darn it, I really want this book. And... When you see something that you just want and it's
0: the right price, you can't stop yourself. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, the tabloid books also bring up some creators rights issues, which is another thing I wanted to talk about Ooh. before we got into this. Yeah, this, this podcast, because in, in 1978, Neil Adams and several creators, including Paul Levitz, uh, who was a writer and editor for this comic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, were part of the creation of the comic book Creators Guild and the guild was designed to, at the time, get more higher page rates for <laughs> freelancers, but also sort of like a, and it wasn't really a union per se, but it had the same concept of like, there should be a base rate of pay for doing this work. Uh, one of the challenges there was, there are a couple of challenges that were happening in 1978 though. One was that the recommended rate they had was three times uh, the current going rate, according to the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 70s. Uh-huh. And one of the things, though, with the tabloids, and you brought, you know, we were talking about tabloids. I didn't plan this into the episode, but Dave okay. Cockrum actually left DC Comics when they wouldn't give him back the art from a centerfold he drew for one of the Legion tabloids and went over to Marvel and started drawing the X Men. Oh. And so. The X-Men relaunch that everybody knows, not the original 60s X-Men, but Mm -hmm. the X-Men from the 70s with Wolverine and Storm and Colossus happened with the artist because he left DC over creative issues when he couldn't get his artwork back. Interesting. Just just kind of a fascinating link there to the time and also probably uh, one of those prompts for actually getting Neil Adams motivated to do this. Also, just a couple years before this, uh, Siegel and Schuster were given the Lifetime Honorarium for Superman from DC Comics, uh-huh. which was owned by Warner Brothers and is still owned by Warner uh, who merged with AT&T recently, which we'll get into toward the end of the episode, so I won't do too much spoiler alert there, but <laughs> we uh, are in an interesting time that also parallels what's going on here around the time of the writing of this book. So, what do you mean? In our current timeline right now? Yeah, in our current... Uh, there was some sort of unprecedented event going on in society right now that may be harming comic book creators. I'm not sure that anybody knows what I'm talking about, but in why don't 19- you tell us a little more? <laughs> well, let's focus on that toward the end of the episode. Okay. okay. Fair enough. Spo- spoiler alert. You're all wearing masks, oh. right? Uh, oh. So <laughs> the, the big thing here too, is that in 1978, uh, DC comics, was facing some of the same problems that they're facing now. And so was Marvel, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But what happened was comic book sales had gone down and newsstands weren't making as much off single issues. So they were sort of pushing them back into the corner. Mm-hmm. And they just weren't publishing as many issues. Also, with inflation during the Carter administration, the price of paper went up. And so DC tried several different pricing schemes, different sizes of books. Marvel did as well. Uh, DC, even in early, late 77, early 78, introduced the DC explosion, where they were going to put a bunch of new creative books out there. It was going to be amazing. And then a blizzard hit on the East Coast. Oh, no. Halted distribution, and DC ended up canceling 24 books due to poor sales. Be, because they just couldn't get him to newsstand in time they couldn't get him to newsstand they were endangered and a lot of these books are you know some classics yeah it, it that became classics later like firestorm swamp thing was supposed to be created and was never it was cancelled before they could even get the book out before it was even oh wow uh you also had a canceliza- cancelization of of several like mainline books or mainline heroes like Aquaman uh-huh. and so <laughs> Yeah, it just was. uh, Teen Titans were canceled, which obviously brought on a better age of Teen Titans down the road. And so some of these books were able to rebound. But some really classic storytelling, like Commandy, the last boy on Earth, was canceled, uh, never really to be revived well. And so we did lose some things. Some of the characters they were able to bring back into other roles, like uh, there was a Steel book and a Vixen book. And of course, those ended up in the Justice League Detroit. Later on in the 80s, uh, much to people's chagrin, Black Lightning was canceled. Black Lightning comes back in The Outsiders later. So, you know, there was some other of these books uh, that were that made it out or the characters made it out. But, yeah, it was a bad time for comics. And it just seems
1: like it seems like uh just a rough, a rough run at it. And, and definitely from the, like, you know, from the publisher side, you know, losing 24 books in a, in just a, in a wallop like that, but then thinking about from the creators aspect or the, you know, on the creative creativity side, you've got uh, creative teams on all those books. And that's usually like, you know, seven people on each book. That's, that's all, that's a lot of folks.
0: And I know that DC, I don't have my Marvel stats up in front of me, uh, but I recently reviewed the DC stats. After the implosion, DC went down to four editors.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: And that's, I mean, you think a major comic book company with all that they produce down to four editors at the same time while the Superman movie is out raking uh-huh. in money at the box office right and and people now they're raking in new fans people are talking about it not
1: the normal the normal person uh their normal fan base but these new consumers that are just eating it up wanting to read all the all the the backstories
0: and or new stories what else does superman do <laughs> And so you get to keep the Superman stories, but then you lose all of these heroes that they would go to read about that were new and creative that that were being put out. And Paul Levitz noted, uh, he was quoted in this DC implosion, but it was in an old trade publication, that it was very hard to publish anything that wasn't really conservative. Mm hmm in us from a storytelling standpoint, not from a political standpoint, uh, simply because anything that stretched, you know, pushed the envelope. If it failed, then you were in trouble as an editor because you pushed the envelope in a time when they weren't selling a lot of books. But he also said, hey, the conservative book might not even make it anyway. So we lost some gems there. And it's also sort of why the Bronze Age isn't, I think, is celebrated. As some of the other ages, because you have some really short run books yeah. of like six or seven issues that really broke ground, but then they disappeared. Well, they just dis- disappeared just because of the sales. Yeah. It seems
1: like, yeah, there's a lot of, when you go, when you're digging through stuff and it's like, well, I've, I've got these four
0: four or five books, where's the rest of it? That's, that's it. That's all there is. <laughs> and DC actually published a book called the Cancelled Comics Cavalcade. Uh-huh. Uh, it was barely published. It was basically done in black and white, just to keep the trademarks and keep the stories published. Yeah, but they did try to hold on to that. But yeah, we lost some some concepts that did get brought back up from time to time. But here we're gonna explore an issue with some concepts that actually survived. And thrived post, well, except for the Legion maybe, but sur- <laughs> <laughs> the Legion thrived for several years after this. I shouldn't bury it here, but the uh, you've got some different concepts that actually survived, but then some other walls came up with a couple of these characters. I'll mostly focus on the Huntress as we go through. But we're looking at Secret uh, Origins, well, DC Superstars Presents, an all-new collection of Secret Origins of the Superheroes. Uh, we've got a Staten cover. It looks great. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if you if you haven't followed uh, Joe Staten's work at this time in the 70s, he was working with the All-Star uh, Comics relaunch with Paul Levitz, who was writing that. And he was doing some really beautiful artwork as they were integrating the Golden Age Justice Society into the 70s and then introducing some new heroes. And it was one of those places where they were able to do that. So, of course, he's drawn all sorts of things. But in in that case, he was doing a lot of that for DC at the time. And so with Huntress featured prominently on the cover as DC's newest Femme Fatale, the Huntress, uh, it makes sense that that Staten would draw the cover. Gotcha. And it looked great.
1: It, you know, with, when I when I saw this cover, I, I felt like um, there was some homage play paid later on in uh, some maybe possibly some GI Joe comic books. I want to do some research, uh, but the, with the dossiers and stuff like that, in the, in the far corner and stuff like that, it felt very much like I've seen I've seen covers uh, in the future later that that pay homage to to this cover itself
0: yeah um, absolutely there are some out there it, or or you mean the baroness is just a direct ripoff of this character yeah oh yeah no i've seen i i, <laughs>
1: I, I, I i'm i'm saying like yeah no i've seen i've seen exactly that
0: <laughs> and i'm like oh man <laughs> yeah and I, everything. <laughs> well let's get into the book i don't want to yeah. get all my huntress information out right away no, no. Well, I mean, uh, when we when we flip over that, that next page and we
1: see prizes or cash, I'm like all in. I'm looking through there. There's a cheeseburger radio. Um, there is a raft. I'm all about the tent, a skateboard. I only got to sell 14 boxes. I don't even know what boxes of, of what for this particular one, but I'm pretty excited. And, and, if, can...
0: well, and if folks want to join right in with you, Greg. I'm going to yeah. link uh, to the DC universe, at least as long as it's still alive. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Link, link to this book in the DC universe. Um, and maybe I should probably also, I'm going to give myself a note here to go ahead and link it on comiXology as well. Gotcha. But just in case DC universe is not around when we release this, but the still using DC universe and love it for now, as long as it survives. And but you can't see the prizes or cash if you look on there. However, DC did just release a facsimile version of this book in honor of the Huntress and probably because of the the Birds of Prey movie. And so you can actually grab one of these. They're just probably at cover price and you can read along. So you don't have to go find and pay a lot of money for the original one, Huntress nice. First Appearance you can get the facsimile copy. And the cool things about those DC facsimile copies is they are facsimiles of the original book in color. So you get all the original ads, which is is phenomenal. Yeah. and Um, and
1: These ads are great. That's one of my favorite things about going through my old books is like just these ads. And I'm like, Oh man, these things that I, I would sit and, and paw over and, and wish to have, because to me that, that, that Goodyear blimp was something that I had to have. And you know what? I got one at some point
0: in my childhood. Well, something you don't know about me is I don't think it was the Olympic sales club. I think it was the other one in the back of the book, but I actually sold Christmas cards and got prizes as a smile child. Nice. Because of comic books. And I think mine were out of the Legion books were the first thing I really got into mentioned that on the podcast before I think the ad though I got for this was in one of those three pack samplers and there was an issue of the uh, invaders in there and I read that book over and over and over again Mm -hmm. to the point where it was all tore up but I had no context for it like I didn't know who these people were yeah I didn't know it was a Marvel book I didn't know who they were but I yeah I got that and, of course, the soldiers in the back of the book. You know, so. You're like, I've got to read it all until it's done. <laughs> but we are not looking at the Invaders today. Nope. We are looking at Secret because... Origins of Superheroes. And oh, yeah. I am a sucker for Secret Origins books. So there was a Secret Origins book uh, put out by DC in the 70s. They went back to the concept in the 80s and early 90s. And then they put out books from time to time. Uh, Marvel will also do this from time to time as well. I love secret origin stories. I-, I loved them because, well, I don't know about you. I was a big Legion fan because partly because I read Legion, but partly because I wanted to know more about the characters that were like around Superman. Uh huh. In some respects, more than Superman. That makes sense. I mean,
1: you're like, oh, hey, Superman's cool, but what about these people that
0: hang out with him? Right. Right. And interestingly enough, Challenge of the Super Friends also came out in 1978. Ah. Which is by far, maybe even still, I don't want to say my favorite necessarily, but definitely my favorite nostalgia like superhero show. Like, I love that with the Legion of Doom. And of course, they draw it all the time with their headquarters. Uh It's one of the most drawn things from an Alex Toth cartoon ever. Yeah, yeah. And and I loved it when I was a little kid, so I probably didn't see it on the first run when I was three, but I I think you're looking at seeing those in syndication on Channel 11 up here in the Northwest all the time, and I loved it when you would see all these sort of obscure Super Friends and, and I would watch the challenge of the Super Friends over and over again. In fact, I even bought it on DVD because uh, <laughs> wow. it was so cool, to, you know, when it wasn't just focused on Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman. Right. And Aquaman. Hey, Aquaman can talk to fish. Hey, yeah. If fish remember things for, like, 15 seconds or a second or something like that, then <laughs> how... That's not really a useful power. But, you know, that aside... (laughs) Getting getting into the origins here. Oh, yeah. uh, So, we're going to start with Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow. And then we'll get into the Legion's second story. Which I felt a little bit misled. Because it's like a secret origin book. And we got the second... First... Or the first case of the Legion. I was like, nah, That's not really an origin story. And then... (laughs) we get to the but, huntress but was it a secret did anyone else know about it you know it was such a secret that i don't know that the 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 main plot the thing that was the plot of the story has been mentioned again Oh, uh, you know i think there was
1: a secret in the story and that's why it was a secret origin it wasn't necessarily theirs
0: well you know let's bounce yeah, it we're good.
1: Oh, we're going i'm not even I, nope
0: i'm lips are sealed yeah, don't tell. I can't. Got, a, got a lot of dog action going on, though.
1: What? Oh, here? I don't know what you're talking about. There's no dogs barking. There's no roofers in a neighbor's house that you can't hear right now um, and, and stuff. That's not why the dogs are barking. Oh, okay. Um, this is the worst day to do a podcast, people. The worst day. Well, ever. my dog
0: is quietly sitting on my bed because she's, you know, the best. Your dog is the best. My dogs, terrible little
1: poop eaters. They do eat poop. I can't help it. I tried to do everything. Got them the pills, the pineapple, um, everything, everything under the sun, and they still just they do still that. do it. Whoa. They still
0: do it. Green <laughs> He's a poop eater, no. Oh, well, he may have been close to it at this time because I know,
1: oh, man.
0: Yes. He, Let's get into it. He also uh, first story, first off, we've got uh, okay. I'm just gonna breathe for a second because as a breathe. Legion fan, there's so many Legion connections and none yes. of those and none of those creators actually worked on the Legion story. Uh-huh. Which just hurts my soul first for starters. But I understand. that's fine. Uh, Denny O'Neill once edited the Legion, uh, mm-hmm. but he's probably well more well known for his work in the '70s on Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Green uh-huh. Arrow, and of course uh, Batman. Yeah, we've talked about Denny O'Neill before. Oh yeah, and and why not just talk about Denny O'Neill more because he's amazing. One oh, amazing. of the things that he did with Green Arrow was take Green Arrow and make him not rich anymore. So. As we've mentioned on a previous podcast about Green Lantern, Green Arrow, he didn't have the Arrow car and everything like that. Just like Batman, he now was working in the streets and would constantly get in fights with Green Lantern, the Uber Super Cop, over how to proceed. Yeah.
1: Made him into more of like a, you know, more like a real Robin Hood.
0: And so <laughs> they did a great job with this origin going back and making him into Robin hood. And the other neat thing is when you make him into Robin hood, who else would draw green arrow except Mike Grell, who drew <sighs> him as Robin hood all throughout the late seventies and the eighties, including yeah. the amazing Longbow hunters mini series. So, yeah. yeah. And then we've got, and we've got some great DC folks on this. So Bruce Patterson inked it. Mm-hmm. And, Ben Oda lettered, and Liz Berube colored. So yeah, it's, they've, they've really got a DC superstars group for this first, no pun intended, story. Oh, yeah. And Paul Levitz edited all three stories, which I mentioned earlier as well. And of course, Paul Levitz is known for Legion work, but also for being a vice president and president at DC Comics. So we've got a pretty all-star cast on this first little baby origin story here. Yes, literally, the Dream Team. And so now we're into it, and we've got Green Arrow, and he's on a ship. And you know if Green Arrow's in the ocean, that's trouble. Oh, big time trouble. This is like, I mean, it's almost like, I would imagine he's like a cat and doesn't like the water. Can I just mention, like, how amazing, like, the art is on the splash page with the... the, the swatches up top yeah. and then the, the bow being the centerpiece of the entire, the bow. And oh, somehow yeah. he gets his Robin hood hat and then his, his goatee and the yeah. bow are yeah. like the very first things you look at. Mm-hmm. And boom, boom, I'm like boom. literally slobbering over the micro art as I look at it again. Like, oh, yeah. it is great. And then the
1: negative space with the water that's just coming up and creeping over. Yeah.
0: Yeah he's and it just immediately i know when i opened this book for the first time i was looking for the legion story and i read this book a lot <laughs> and i was really into this green arrow story I, I thought it really got me into the character oh it's a solid story
1: i mean that's no spoiler right there that's just what it is that's just i'm just i'm just saying what it is
0: it's solid. and i just wanted to learn more and so we have uh we have the artwork and all of a sudden you know uh There's a young woman, she's being held at gunpoint, Mm -hmm. and apparently, as we find out, the bad guy tosses Green Arrow a bag full of documents, because we don't have the internet or flash drives, Yes, that could give him back all of his fortune. All of it. And change the scope of the character all throughout the seventies back to the green arrow of old. So Oliver Queen would get his money back and Oliver Queen's looking at the situation. Do I let this woman die? Do I get my money back? And
1: it's it's one of those situations of like, you know, which 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 path do I choose? Which is and more we, important.
0: And we get a flashback. Ugh.
1: Right in the middle of his thought process, a flashback, but a great place to
0: put one. Right, and also since it's an origin story, and of course, in the flashback, we get a beautiful headshot of Robin Hood, Green Arrow, contrasted with Playboy Oliver Queen on a boat. I, I, I will tell you, I didn't even recognize him. You didn't even recognize him. See, I'm not even jo- I'm not even joking. Oh, you're not joking. Oh, I'm no. not joking. I didn't know who he was at first. You're like, who's this random blonde guy on a boat? I was like, who is this dude? He's a chucklehead. And I think that's great, though, too, because it really illustrates the power of girls' art to, you know, make you see the changes in somebody, right? Mm -hmm. So just going back, and yeah, he just does look like a blonde kid as opposed to the grown-up, you know, guy with the goatee and mustache and hair and everything that he is now. And, yeah. Yeah. Actually, gosh, taking a look at this too, he really Gerald does an amazing job showing showing him as sort of weathered in the headshot. Oh yeah. And he's really baby faced when you're looking at him drinking his martini there. Right. It's that's that's what I'm saying.
1: It's like I mean, looking at the two, you've got them like I mean, literally they're 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 almost like face to face a couple times, and you can look at them and and see similarities, but yet you've got this like you said a weathered, uh, aged person who's had some uh, some challenging experiences proudly they're wearing it on their face and uh, and you've got and you've got this this young this young buck over here that's just like you know hey i'm living life this is my you know i'm just going to drink this drink and talk to this lady
0: and perhaps maybe making him so baby-faced gives the artist some room to work as the story continues oh yeah yeah for sure So, we flip the page, and you can get a Zagnut at the Retro Emporium in Kent, Washington. Oh, yeah. Delicious Zagnuts. (laughs) Along with other famous Clark candy bars. Delicious candy bars. (laughs) And you can learn karate, kung fu, judo, savat, and jujitsu. Down the street. I don't believe that you can learn jujitsu from a book. Uh, oh, from a book? Maybe. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I was going to say, down the street there is a. There, well, I mean, like down the street from the Retro Emporium, there is a there is a
0: training facility. But yeah, but that's true. Uh, you can also get big muscles fast. Yes, you can. One of the best things before comics exploded in prices, and you had these ads here. There's one: DC Marvel back issue catalog, low low prices. Whoa! Send, send me a quarter. And I will send you a book. And uh, you saw these all the time. Um, this one's from West Montreal, Canada. Uh, oh. Free comic book list. Send me your list. And so before we had, My Life Comics was getting there. Um, but before you had that, you had just people would have comic collections or stores and they would just have you send in a list. And then you'd have to like mail back your order. It was insane. That's funny.
1: I had uh, one of those like switchblade combs back in the day it was definitely uh, a fun thing to have but also a bad thing to
0: have I think um, it was confiscated is that how you fended off Charles Atlas body people on the beach
1: Like, oh of course yeah whenever they kick sand in my face I just pull out my switchblade
0: they wouldn't they weren't sure if it was real or not unless they had the x-ray specs to see and then and <laughs> after you beat them up they could go back and get a high school correspondence course so they could do something with their life yeah
1: but you know what i spent the money on being taller for 35 cents and blammo and (laughs) i had my poem set to
0: music in nashville (laughs) did you
1: oh man it's amazing
0: what what have we been doing when we don't have these nice ads in the book to to distract us honestly
1: i don't know because i mean you you honestly could just be getting a heart foil stamp right now but you're not that's true and that makes me sad
0: well right right now um write advertisers direct because dc comics needs you to advertise because they are broke so it now ain't no game jump <laughs> so we're back into the story and uh young oliver queen who is aging by the panel is getting the crap beat out of him by people that took over his ship and he is about to get thrown in the water yar pirates and the I, i think the contrast if you go back a page of the bubbles coming up from him for being tipsy and then the bubbles coming up from him from being thrown in the water when he's trying yeah. to breathe. It, oh yeah, it's again. Uh, is Mike Grill like the best? Like he's I just good stuff. <laughs> is is Mike Grill as good or better than Neil Adams? Who you know, they
1: they they each walk their own. Path and the art, and it's hard to it's. They they both do their own thing that is amazing, you know. Um I, it's it's hard to,
0: but they're both icons of this era, right? But Grell and, stayed, you know. Grell Adams was off doing creator-owned stuff, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. After I mean, this... they're both they're both icons of, of the time. They're both icons of of this this character. They have iconic
0: um, pieces. Yeah, I do think that that Adams will still be more remembered for... Well, he's got the Green Arrow cover, but the Speedy cover, right? <laughs> You're on dr- my word, Speedy's on drugs. And yeah. uh, the Green Lantern cover where uh, Green Arrow shoots the arrow through the lantern. Yeah. And obviously all of his other work. But I'm just thinking for this character where the, the goatee and the Robin Hood-esque mask and everything, and, yeah. you know, really, Grell took it and then ran with it. And, of yeah. course, Warlord, too. He, he really, Grell really liked to draw uh, goatees. So oh, yeah. We have characters. And I think we flipped the page, and uh, Oliver Queen, amazingly, uh, swims and runs into a an island.
1: Yeah, he swims it's, so hard, so fast. He shouts, he screams, but he
0: can't get them to hear him. And, and there's sand under his feet, and he just happens to make it there. So he makes this island, and he looks at some berries on a tree. Always yeah. a good idea to eat the first thing that you find hanging on a tree on an island you've never been to before, where you can't identify the plants. He's making like a big a big honcho wilderness scout, Dan. Well, that's fair.
1: And these berries are going to hold him off. See. They had to also come up with their own their own version of the Scouts, too, because litigiousness.
0: Well, I don't <laughs> know that you want to be associated with the Scouts right now anyway. So, Well, well I mean, this is the 70s. And... Yeah. Well, it is the 70s, and we're about to get into the 70s here because... Oh, yeah. <laughs> on the next page. <laughs> it looks uh, like a
1: kangaroo, not a rabbit. That's all I yeah. got to say. But that makes me wonder, could it be a baby kangaroo?
0: It could be. We've got a very frustrated-looking rabbit. It's away. an angry roo. And uh, we've got we've got Oliver Queen saying, "Oh, I can make arrows because yeah. I'm on an island <laughs> and I can't shoot anything." And then all of a sudden, it arrows take so long to break that he's wearing seventies cut off pants. And all of a sudden, Oliver Queen. Is now a blonde haired version of seventies icons. Right? He could be in a James Bond movie right now. Oh yeah. He could and be
1: right out of Planet of the Apes.
0: Hair on his chest. Oh yeah. Uh, look at all that hamburger. Whoa. Kind, kind of some abs there. Yeah. De- definitely, definitely they uh when they did this for Arrow, they basically they definitely went the shaved look in Arrow, but not here. Nope
1: not not on the island he is he is definitely he's he's got a, a little he's got hair
0: hair and weeks pass and we have no idea what he's eating cuz he still hasn't mastered the berries the arrow. but apparently oh is he still eating berries he's eating apparently berries. he doesn't need much food no and maybe that's why he's so skinny so yeah. that's you know that would that would happen and then he finally starts to figure it out he's shooting things and then instead of shooting one of those rabbits he shoots a fish and Wham. I think it's amazing because he gets this idea that the fish is swimming away with his 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 shaft uh-huh and he's like oh if i put a net in an arrow i could shoot it into the water and catch fish yes and that works not- not to question the great Denny O'Neill or anything, but like, couldn't he have just taken the net uh-huh. that he made yeah. without the arrow uh-huh. and put it in the water and not starve for weeks? Dan, stop using logic.
1: This is a comic book. We're using comic book logic. And comic book logic would say, you put the net in an arrow. You shoot the arrow into the water. The net pulls out of the arrow catches the fish and then you get to look like a greek god throwing a party by yourself over a fire eating fish
0: yeah and it's it's interesting to see this now too especially with grell drawing it because grell took away a lot of the trick arrows in the in the green arrow mythos for a long time yeah uh making him more robin hood just shooting arrows and the consequences of shooting arrows at people uh as Uh we get into the 80s so it is interesting to sort of see this and it, it When it's pasted all on a page like this, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I want to ask Mr. Grell honestly about this page because (laughs) Mike Grell has been known when he thinks a concept is absurd to make the concept look absurd in the artwork. Uh Uh-huh. And so it, in here, he does this sort of trick where, like, the arrow, the thing gets shot out, right, the net. But then Oliver Queen's standing over there at the side of the river just pulling the net out. Like, it's pretty obvious he could have just thrown the net in. Yeah. I'm just wondering if this is one of those Grell art tricks where he's like, man, this is absurd. So I'm just going to make it look absurd on the page. Maybe, maybe.
1: I, you no- know, it makes me want to go find an archer who is also a fisherman, or person. To see if they've tried that. And to before. see if they tried it before. I do know that they make fishing archery arrows. And I well, want to know if they make net casting arrows in which someone could cast a net to catch a fish. I'm intrigued well, now.
0: Well, good news. Uh, Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor just saved the world by giving uh, giant... Oh! Uh, woman twinkies so oh
1: good cool. good uh, cookie cookie lamu lamu cookie Lemu. on broadway yeah well she's you know she was feeling a little a little down she needed a little boost
0: she needed host is Twinkies because they're irresistible.
1: I know. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, like most days when I'm when I'm out and about and having, you know, having a rough one, you know, like sometimes you need a little a little boost, need a little sugary snack or something like that, you know, so indulge yourself. Don't hold back. Have that snack.
0: snack and, we, <laughs> and we flip flip the page. And I do want to highlight, you know, I mentioned yeah. that during the implosion, uh-huh. explosion period they were trying all sorts of ways to get uh to get uh books out there at different price points formats and here was one of the 80 page giants the dollar comics uh and it's a superman spectacular to sort of launch that of course we know a couple months later that a lot of They're these canceled. books would be canceled including uh superman family but or was it superman or trying to remember i may have that messed up it may have been all the other books were combined into superman family that were canceled uh-huh. but regardless irregardless uh regardless irregardless whatever. one or the other yeah i it, can make up words it was it was that. canceled it was but, yeah you know, but here we have uh carrie bates story with kurt swan and vince coletta on art and of course yeah. got the classic kurt swan superman face right on the front with it looks great brainiac and luther like going after him teaming up advertising this and superman's 40th anniversary countdown so yeah it's it's pretty it's neat to see even with superman they were going all out right to try Uh to to market um it's just really anyway makes me sort of sad to see it because so many things were were canceled right To, to think though like okay
1: at the time okay for us right now 2020, dollar, 2020 money, a dollar, no big deal. 2020 money, that, that comic book, no big deal. 1977 money, that dollar, that is like...
0: That's that, a lot.
1: That is a lot. I know my folks would like, they would take $3 and $3 was an evening out. So you take away one of those and that means someone's not eating.
0: Yeah. And it's it's, well, it's it's also important to note this 80 page book is is what three, three times the page size of a normal book, just over three times. Right. Yeah. So you were getting, you know, looking at 33 cents a comic. Uh, One of the neat things uh, I'll give a plug to tomorrow's DC implosion uh, history book. Uh-huh. I pulled some information out of but they have a piece in the book that shows the prices going from 10 cents 12 cents 15 cents 25 mm-hmm. cents 35 cents and 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 moving up during this time they just kind of showed the pricing banners yeah and and so it was fascinating to see that rapid rise due to paper costs and then the different ways you had to distrib- distribute comics Mm-hmm. And, of course, in the 80s, uh, we mentioned on the Danny Chase episode a couple episodes ago on direct market books, right? When yeah. they were, instead of trying to mass produce, they were going to go uh, direct market. So, And just doing a, qu- a quick, quick check for you. So $1 in 1977 would be $4.28 now. Whew. So, but I would say if uh, that's like, that's, I pay I pay three ninety two ninety nine and three ninety nine for regular size books. So I know if I got but, eighty pages for four twenty eight right now. I'd probably be pretty happy.
1: I know, but I'm saying, like I was saying, that's a meal. That's like going to McDonald's. If if you know if you wanted to like if you wanted to equate it to something to make it a quick quick an equation, it's like going to McDonald's or Taco Bell or something like that and getting like a, a number one. That's. Sure. That that that's wild to me. That somebody would be. You have to have Richie Rich money to buy this book back then. You have to. You have to be rolling in. You have to. You have to be like the garbage man that lives at home with his grandma. Oh God, me? That's me. Oh my God, I just talked about myself.
0: Well, and especially to you know, from the serious standpoint, when magazines were selling for less and there was less margin. You know, part of the thing in the in the implosion book is they talk about the margin between the different books and why newsstands were becoming less willing to sell the books. And it just wasn't the margin in the books for them. They weren't profiting off of them. So DC and Marvel were both trying to find creative ways. Like if we up the size, can we increase their margin? Right. So if we up the size, we charge more. And now we have a hundred page book. We have less books in the line. Can we keep the books out there? And they tried a lot of different strategies to, uh, to make it work. And I think without getting too far into that and we'll get back into the green arrow story, Mm -hmm. but Paul Levitz posted on Facebook today, I think it was today Today. uh, that DC had survived the implosion when he first started working for them back in the seventies. And he hopes that the comic industry will find creative ways to survive now. And so, you know, there is, there is precedent to have a catastrophic event, you know, impact the industry. And then they were able to come back. Mm -hmm. And, and part of that coming back, I think is, is centering in the bad part about coming back is centering in sort of on some key characters. Right. Yeah. But then the positive part about coming back is it really makes people get creative with their pitches, with their ideas, with their Mm -hmm. storytelling, because everybody has to be sort of like at the tip top, right. To get something pitched to one of the major companies. And so, Mm
1: For sure. Cause, cause you're the pool, the pool is so large of people pitching and everyone is vying for that position to do the, to, to do the work. I mean, especially when, when everything kind of goes, goes haywire and you know, the creativity never stops. So new creators are always, always there and they're always, they're always out there and you know, um, uh, everyone's got fresh ideas and you might have, you might be working in the industry for a long time and you got great ideas, but there's also, there's also new ideas, other new ideas too. So everyone's got the fresh stuff.
0: Yeah. And and then the hope is that we don't regress like they did in the bronze age, right? Back to like some limited storytelling and not Mm -hmm. getting out some of the character ideas that were great. So we're back, back in green arrow here and I think most of you sort of know the story if you followed Green Arrow. But Green Arrow is on the island. The smugglers come back to the island. He beats them and goes home. Why do they come back to the island?
1: To smuggle more?
0: Yeah, to smuggle more. They were bad guys. And then he uses his arrows to fight them because he becomes a fighter of arrows? And that's why he had the net arrow because he nets them so the people, the sol- the sailors he captured can beat them up. Hmm. So yes. the net arrow was important. See, it wasn't important to catch fish. It was
1: a net arrow used in an earlier scene will be used later. If you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, this Robin Hood looking guy who has sort of a Christo like presence oh, was a yeah. fisher of a fisher of men.
1: Yeah! Oh, yeah! He was a fisher of men. Oh my
0: goodness! Look at what you did there! Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, we've now <laughs> been banned from four additional networks. So uh, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was never going to make it on the seven hundred club anyway. So did you say we got deep sixed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well. Green Arrow's hopes for life are about to get deep sixed. Here, he of course thinks about it, decides he he doesn't want to be a playboy anymore, and saves the young woman from the bad guy. Yes, and
1: he 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 pummels that dude. He hits him with his bow and his fist, face full of knuckles.
0: And I like it too, because we got all the introspection in the story and the bag falls off the ship with the evidence. And the young woman just says, hey, Mr. The Bag. And he just, you know, was it important? He just says, not really. Because he's come to terms with his existence and what he's been able to do with his life. And that is a cool little reflection piece and a fun retelling of the origin. Yeah. I like like that it's, you see a
1: full growth and development of the character all all in his in this in this short story in 10 and pages it, yeah in 10 pages they do such a great job uh o'neill and, and grell they do such a great job in telling the story in the in in the words and in the art to to make you go oh wow this character can come full circle can 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 grow twice twofold you know literally have everything taken away two times but yet grow so much more yep
0: and uh it's interesting too because they so this this was one of two green arrow origins they preserved one of the two golden age origins here into this story and they of course the arrow television show kept this legacy too and expanded on it with leon yu the island where he was (laughs) trapped and they make the island sort of like more mystical in some respects, but they also keep the idea of smugglers using the island. Uh, And so the smugglers become a key part of the series. And of course they, they expand it much more beyond a 10 page story and what he's able to do. And the smugglers don't just leave when he leaves. It's not like the story's over. Yeah. And that does make sense, right? Like if he left the island he might have beat up those smugglers, but the smugglers aren't just going to be like, yeah, we're not going to use this island anymore. So it it makes sense. And it's a major part of the Arrow mythos, which, pe- you know, many more people I'm sure have seen on television than mm-hmm. read the story. So it's good that, that they're preserving sort of that legacy that O'Neill and Grell created there.
1: Definitely. Like a little side note, a historical side note. One of the things that I liked about the the use of this mythos in the TV show, um, when uh, when my mom and I would watch a show, she would she would always throw back because she would actually she actually read some of these books uh, when she was younger, and uh, she was like, yeah, oh yeah, no, I remember this, and I was like, you remember it? I was thinking she was having like a moment, right? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. oh, no, I read this. And I was like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> you know, so so it was kind of cool because we had that connection, you know, um, and just talking comics and stuff because we used to watch a lot of the DC stuff, uh, and and it was it was it was really cool to be able to have those connections and, and talk about comics and how it was translated across, and uh, and just you know and, and picking up these stories and stuff. And it's kind of neat how they can cross uh, generations, and generations can
0: share these stories. And it's it's also telling too that you can preserve some of the history without being cheesy. Yeah. And but still keep the center of the characters. So you don't have to like reintroduce a character and create a brand new origin for them every time. You can mm-hmm. pull elements of the story, and that, that's one of the things I think Denny O'Neill did really well here. Is it's not a cheesy golden age story but he preserves elements from that story and then of course obviously the arrow tv show the first two seasons rely Mm -hmm. heavily on that story
1: yeah Yeah. definitely and it and it makes it makes sense you know like you said to, to to be able to preserve preserve that historical sense in a sense
0: And on that note, we're going to wrap on episode 255, our part one of our coverage of DC Superstars number 17. Join us next week for a little bit more discussion about the other stories in the book and the DC implosion and what was going on with comics in the late 1970s and even how it might parallel to now. So join us next week.